Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. from the bad taste crime podcast and i'm also here i'm vicky vicky yeah happy anniversary <laughs> happy anniversary <laughs> we've been That's committed right. to each other and this podcast for four whole years <laughs> oh my god four <laughs> years i haven't even worked i don't think i've held a job for four years ever <laughs> Is that a brag? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying in the current economic climate, we've been trained to maximize our lifespan at one place and then move on to the next. So yep. bigger and better things. Exactly. So that's what I'm doing. But my point is, this is <laughs> a very long time to be committed to one single thing. Right? I don't commit to anything. <laughs> True. True. Uh, me either. So, <laughs> this, so is pretty, this is pretty big for us. Um, this is growth. This is learning. <laughs> yes. And this is a very, very special anniversary episode it is. of the BTC. It's, what is um, the four-year gift? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Let's Not do paper. some... That's number one. Four anniversary year one. anniversary <laughs> gift is logs, wood, <laughs> well, pewter, copper. Let's see. <laughs> Something stupid. <laughs> four year and this is the not anniversary gifts by year list for traditional celebrations. This looks okay. promising. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> That, I saw one thing, but the, the description underneath didn't sound like it. So <laughs> so I expect gifts like this from everybody. Ready, okay. go. <laughs> one was paper. I remember that. Okay. Paper was on, yeah. Two was cotton. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> Three was leather. Ooh, we missed our leather years. <laughs> These are the traditional. Okay. So number four, there's a United States variant and a United Kingdom variant. Okay. So 
In the U.S., the four year is fruit or flowers. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> and in the U.K., it's linen and silk. I'll take silk. Thank you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm like the mo- apparently the modern gift theme is appliances. I'm like, is it though? Um, I have plenty of <laughs> I think appliances. You're making this up. Don't you dare! <laughs> you're definitely making this up. That's um, like getting a robe for your mother for Christmas. It's like ew. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. So with that, we're uh wait. What did I miss? Oh, if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Came in at it's a not good like time. You've been doing this for four years, Vicky. You I know. remember. I know, I know. Uh, it's all this cold getting to my brain, I think. Wow. I think my brain has frostbite. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Slowly working its way up. <laughs> we are going to head over to the newsroom. So I thought for our anniversary episode, mm-hmm. I would do a traditional bad taste news story. Mm. Is it about food? <laughs> There's always a couple of things you can expect from a, yes. from a traditional <laughs> bad taste news story. One of them is food. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Florida. other <laughs> is from Florida. Okay. Florida so if exactly <laughs> Florida. a Florida, this comes from... <laughs> The two Fs. Mm-hmm. This comes from WTSP 10 Tampa Bay. A Florida man named Victor Fosser has been arrested and charged with battery after slamming a Taco Bell burrito into his wife's face. I mean, but what kind of burrito, though? <laughs> Didn't specify. Just said burrito. Because, like, there's some, like, you know, those grillers. Those are heavy. It's like a pound. <laughs> Heavy hitters. Yeah. I mean, they also didn't. I don't know if it's are burritos normally soft shell. Can you get hard shell burritos? I don't eat Mexican. <laughs> I food, just, so. Okay, first of all, you could tell. How dare you even, Vicky? How can you I get know. a hard shell burrito? No, I don't know. It's a taco. <laughs> Is it a taco? Yeah, but it's they have taco. hard and soft shell tacos. Yes, you can't. It's not a burrito if it's in a hard shell. <laughs> okay, it has well, to be enveloped in something soft. <laughs> this is my least favorite food category. I'm is not Mexican I'm, food. I, might, I will take the hate mail. Yes, I do not like Mexican food. Sorry, guys. <sighs> Vicky, I Secrets think this out. is the end of our podcast. <laughs> I know it took four years. First, it was and the all pineapple sudden, on pizza. Now you the hate secrets Mexican are coming food? out. <laughs> it's over. I'm, I'm breaking always, up with I you. just don't. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. This is the last episode of yeah, the show. So the- <laughs> It takes all kinds, is what I say when I yes. don't, when I don't agree. It takes all kinds when I adamantly disagree with your life choices. It takes yeah. all kinds. <laughs> so, according to Ten Tampa Bay, quote: It all started when deputies say a less than understanding husband dangled a burrito in front of his wife's face and Gina made fun of her for being upset about having to force her son to move out of their home. Okay, first of all. <laughs> How do you even dangle a burrito from the end? Is it in and the you wrapper? It side is it to out side. of the wrapper? I need more information. I'm going to assume that it's out of the wrapper. <laughs> is it warm? Is um, it cold? Probably warm because it. I don't, I don't know. know. Sometimes when you get stuff from Taco Bell. It is not warm. <laughs> oh, 
That's unfortunate. <laughs> it is. Fast food is unfortunate. <laughs> the wife wasn't amused and grabbed the burrito, throwing it behind her on the floor. Surprised by the flying burrito, investigators say the husband then picked up all the remaining burritos and smashed them in her face, causing some to go up her nose. Is this what they meant by flying burrito brothers? Oh, jokes coming in hot. <laughs> Is that a thing I should know? <laughs> it's a band. No, you shouldn't know it. Okay. He's not a hundred years old. <laughs> nope. I'm like, is that a reference I should get? I don't think um, so. No, Vicky. <laughs> it's not even a reference I should get. <laughs> but yet. <laughs> yeah, but you're like a 200-year-old woman in a 30-year-old woman's body. It's true. It's really true. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he was charged with battery for burrito battery. Shouldn't shouldn't it be bur- burritery? <laughs> Burrattery? Burritery? Bur- Batterito? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> how it is. Batterito. Oh, okay. man. All right. We're just going to keep on moving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's go on to Netflix and Kill, where this week we are looking ahead a little bit. Could um, it be Netflix and Queso? No. God. No. Keeping on the Mexican thing. <laughs> so at the time of recording, by the time this comes out, this Netflix show will be out. At the time of recording, it is not, however. Netflix is releasing a four-part documentary series called... Crime scene: The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. <laughs> and I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit excited about this. I feel like it's a little too late, though. <laughs> yes, but it'll be interesting because mm-hmm. the documentary itself is going to look at the Cecil Hotel and specifically the disappearance of Elisa Lamb. So. Because it's specifically looking at Elisa Lamb is one of the reasons that I'm, like, the most intrigued about it. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know. And are living under a rock. <laughs> yes. So, first of all, the Cecil Hotel is the place for many suicides, deaths, and mysterious occurrences. It's oftentimes associated with Richard Ramirez. A.K.A. Mm-hmm. the Night Stalker. But I would say the most mysterious disappearance is that of Elisa Lam, who was a Canadian college student um, and the daughter of Chinese immigrants. She was in California at the time for a solo vacation. And the it mysteriously disappeared, right? The mm-hmm. only evidence they have is this... Uh, security camera footage from inside one of the hotel's elevators where Mm -hmm. she is seen sort of behaving erratically, almost appearing to speak to somebody outside of the elevator and kept looking out as if she's like being chased by somebody. Long story short, after all this happens, she's not seen again until it's discovered that her body is floating in the water tank on top of the hotel. Mm -hmm. This is a case that has never been solved. Very strange because there's little evidence to go on, really. But I am very much looking forward to this because I think it's been a while since somebody has really taken a hard look at this case. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's, I think when you're talking about mysterious disappearances, this definitely gets lumped in with all of the, um, like, the, what's the airplane guy's name? The, you know who I'm talking about. The Thank airplane. you. D.B. Cooper. I'm just like, <laughs> what is, I'm blanking out. It gets lumped in with mysteries like D.B. Cooper. I love like that. Like, on that level of, of mysterious. <laughs> I know we will eventually there's a DB Cooper documentary coming out soon also mm-hmm. that we will eventually get around to talking about. But yeah, we can't get away from him. No, I had to laugh a little bit because we you just did a few episodes ago mm-hmm. the case um, of the potential DB Cooper. And it was like a week later I saw a trailer for that pop up. I was like, yep. Whoa. <laughs> I predicted the future. <laughs> <laughs> So, like I said, by the time this podcast comes out, this documentary is going to be out already. I encourage everybody to check it out because if you want to get sucked into a uh, a rabbit hole, this is the case that I'll do it for sure. With that being said, uh, this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for our listeners. There's definitely like murder in mind, but honestly, it's not like too crazy terrible. <laughs> It's not like bad murder. It's like murder light. No, it's just murder light. Yeah. I mean, mine has no murder that I know of. So okay, there's that. I mean, I had to, it's a crime podcast. I had to, there had to be something. <laughs> right? Yes. Right. Sorry, my dog decided he's going to try to make a bed really close to the the table. So we'll give him a second. Hans just to, wants to be on the podcast to suss again. <laughs> Shame, weenie. You done, Hans? <laughs> Anywho. Anywhoozle. So, it's our anniversary, guys. And every year we love to gift each other a lovely story, which usually involves cults. We're taking it back. Yes. We're going OG. We're have we done this cults. for other anniversaries? I'm pretty sure we have. I'm pretty sure oh. our first anniversary is cults. <laughs> nice. Okay. We this is really create. just like a throwback we'll, episode. We'll do this. We'll do this and we'll post it. We're going to create an anniversary list. For the true crime lover, that will be like first year Netflix documentary, second year. <laughs> oh God, murder I have been, no. <laughs> I've been meaning to like actually make a spreadsheet of all of our episodes. Yes, which at this point is going to be a lot because we're now over a hundred in four years. Yes, in. so that's fun. <laughs> we kind of sort of started it and then abandoned it because we have lives. <laughs> yes yeah remember those things so one of these days yes so we are lovers of cults explorers of cults yes you know we we've covered so many Mm. it's just interesting because i think that mind control is really fascinating and that's really like the premise of all cults is controlling people and what makes it even more fascinating is that anything can start as a cult people who own jeeps can be cults right Jeep club. Jeep club. Are, I mean, are motorcycle clubs cults? Who knows? Yoga is definitely a cult. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, especially hot yoga. Yes. So, like, we're going to explore exactly what a cult is. I mean, all cults really start with some, like, joining factor. A lot of them started with communes. But really, what is the worst cult of them all, Vicky? Oh, Lord. So <laughs> if I had to say one, mm-hmm. probably the... Well, okay. So if you're talking about 
it kind of depends on what metric you're talking about. If you're talking yeah. about like body count, um, mm-hmm. that would be People's Temple, mm-hmm. Jonestown. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about like current psychological crazy damage, that would probably be Scientology exactly. is what I would say. So it's great that you said Scientology. Okay. Because the cult that I'm going to be talking about, the worst cult of them all, is the cult of celebrity. <laughs> oh, my God, Janelle. <laughs> you would fucking do this. You would okay. pull some shit like this. Okay. So, I'm, I'm here for it. We're going to be covering some Hollywood cults and celebrities that have ties to cults because okay. this is going to be fun and light. I wanted fun and light. I'm so excited. <laughs> I am so excited for this. This is going to be really fun. Okay. So... Many, 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 many celebrities have ties to cults. I mean, Scientology, you mentioned for one, is one of the biggest cults that has a lot of followers and a lot of them happen to be celebrities. Most of the celebrities, you know, like Tom Cruise and John Travolta and Danny Masterson. But there's some other Mm -hmm. lesser known culties of Scientology. There's Kirstie Alley. There's Beck. Dougie Fresh is in Scientology. I did not know that. (laughs) I think that Beck left recently didn't he yeah so i'm pretty sure a couple people are starting to leave or have left jason lee actually just recently gave up scientology as we know leah ramini um Mm -hmm. but still it has become this part of being the cult of celebrity in hollywood and to be a scientologist means you made it ma (laughs) Uh, okay So I was just listening to a last podcast on the left episode and Henry actually remarked that he thinks that Scientology is going to die soon as soon as David Miscavige dies. And I mean, boy, howdy, I hope so because this like religion has ruined a lot of people's lives and pretty much entire families. Yeah. So while we're on the subject of Scientology, Mm -hmm. um, because I have no idea where you're going to go with this, but (laughs) as, as many of you know, Scientology is one of my specialties um, <laughs> as far as like knowledge goes. Sometimes mm-hmm. I know I know a little about a lot of stuff. Scientology, mm-hmm. I do actually know a lot about. <laughs> and the thing about it is the membership numbers that they publicly put out are not accurate one mm-hmm. and their membership has actually been in decline over the last probably 5 5 yes. to 10 years. Mm-hmm. David Miscavige, when he had his sort of, I would call it a coup in the church, <laughs> yeah, that he basically st- stole this power and is now dangling some of these other things above uh, other members, like additional OT levels and other things. Mm-hmm. There isn't really anybody, I think, c- close to him that he trusts to take over. He's a very vain like he doesn't see himself as god but he definitely sees himself as a very powerful person Mm -hmm. with a lot of anger issues Mm -hmm. and wouldn't trust anybody to take over Mm -hmm. scientology so i i absolutely agree with that statement i think probably i would say probably my guess would be in the in the next five to ten years we'd probably see it die out way way more yeah Yeah, I just wanted to bring up Scientology first, because that is probably, like you said, like one of the most well-known kind of current culty things that are happening. And honestly, Mm -hmm. if Scientology would have just like been exactly what, you know, Ron Hubbard had it as, just like this fun kind of quirky, weird, like hangout sesh, and it didn't get taken over, I don't think it would be as terrible as it is currently. 
by ruining people's lives. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. It was pretty, you know what, towards, towards the end of Hubbard's life, when he was going crazy Mm -hmm. um, from all of the meds and shit that he was taking, it got pretty fucking bad before Miscavige took over. Like it Mm -hmm. was, it was almost like he had control of this thing and then lost control of it at some point it's just like mm-hmm. a train barreling down the track so but like there wasn't that many people in it at that time right like it didn't um, start to grow until a little bit after he died there was there was quite a few people because he had set up different centers in various parts of the world and he basically had his personal navy mm-hmm. people that he traveled around C-org. with yeah yeah the sea <laughs> org so there was quite a few, but you're right. I think it was when, at least when David Miscavige became more involved, maybe not before he took over, he he was very involved before uh-huh. Hubbard died and he like kind of officially took over as, as the head of the church. Yeah. They had already started programs like the Celebrity Center to reach out to these people in, I don't want to say in power, but, you know, obviously people with a little bit more standing – Mm-hmm. to add some legitimacy to what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next like culty cult that comes up a lot in Hollywood is the children of God. Mm. Joaquin and River Phoenix's family was in the children of God, as well as Rose McGowan's family. Okay. So that's another, that's another very common cult wow. that a lot of celebrities have been part of. Yeah, David and Par- Patricia Arquette actually were born into the Skymount sub subud commune in Virginia, which is a cult that was founded in the 1920s by an Indonesian quote unquote prophet. I've never heard of that. Yeah, there's some real weird ones that come up. Winona Ryder's family actually moved to be part of a commune cult called the Rainbow Family Commune of Living in Mendocino, California, when Ryder was seven. See, that sounds fun, though. That sounds more like hippie hippie shit. <laughs> I mean, again, what is a cult? <laughs> true, true. Now, the most surprising one that I came across was Glenn Close. Glenn Close's father, the late Dr. William Talaferro, took their family into the right-wing religious group Moral Rearmament, or the MRA. Okay. So that is a really interesting cult that I would love to do an episode on. They are very, they are like, I don't even know what to describe them as, but they are very uh, kind of steeped in gun rights and like (laughs) just overall not. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That seems like something Phyllis Schlafly would have been really on board with. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway. I kind of wanted to briefly talk about three cults that are being run by celebrities currently because they're kind of new and there isn't a whole lot of information about them. So this isn't going to be like an eight hour rant about Hollywood people and how terrible they are, but just kind of like brief overviews of some cults that you should look out for. <laughs> okay. Cults okay. on the rise. Yes. So because I have a feeling that a lot of these uh, in the next couple of years are going to have a Nexium treatment to them. Oh, um, Lord. Is what's going to happen is what I think. Yeah. Um, So, Vicky, do you remember the movie 10 Things I Hate About You? Yes. Do you remember the character Bianca, who was played by Alex Mack? The the actress Uh, from Alex Mack? Yes. Do Do you remember the Secret Life of Alex Mack? That's like one of my favorite Nickelodeon shows. I do. I think about it from okay. time to time because that was a weird one. 
It's very <laughs> ridiculous. So the character Bianca has this guy who's like trying to bone her the entire movie. And then he winds up being a douche canoe. And then she falls in love with Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But okay. that douche canoe was played by the actor Andrew Keegan, who is like the 90s movie crush and leader of a very weird and sketchy cult. Oh. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. So the cult that Andrew Keegan started, or I don't, I guess he didn't like start it, but he really like got it going because somebody else I think started it and he's like took it over. So it's called okay. Full Circle. Okay. And okay. I'm going to read you the description that was given of Full Circle that used to be on their website that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh, God. So this is how Full Circle is described. <clears throat> Let's cue some spa music in the background because that's kind of the, the vibe this gives when I dun, 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 dun. Oh, wait, that's copyrighted. <laughs> so... Full Circle Venice is an open-source spiritual community center that offers regular yoga and growth-oriented workshops. People of all beliefs and backgrounds are welcome to take part in the weekly cultural gatherings at our space. Housed in a 110-year-old temple at 305 Rose Avenue, the walls are as old as Venice itself. Yet the people who gather within them seek timeless, universal truths. So far, this doesn't seem super, (laughs) super weird. Full Circle is an experimental environment that aims to elevate the individual while connecting us with each other. Much spiritual development is inner-focused, and we certainly offer that, but people are also looking for a way to authentically connect with others around a higher purpose. We operate according to a co-creative model encouraging individuals to seek individual enlightenment while aligning their talents with forces larger than themselves. Full Circle Venice honors all peaceful cultures and teachers for the unique and inspired contributions they have made to the world. At the same time, we recognize that our spiritual future is yet to be written. The essence of religion is living in the moment, and we believe that to be vital, spiritual practice must remain responsive to what is happening now, and that all dichotomies are fleeting. There is no clear line between the inner and the outer. The political and the non-political. The local and the global. Okay, this is where it has officially gone a little like, okay, this is getting a little weird. Yes. We at Full Circle respect structure and tradition, but we try to foster an experiment space with which new ground can be broken. A great example of our work is our weekly active 888 ceremony on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., A diverse group of people sit together to converse, meditate, and experience music together. It's open to everyone and demonstrates how we can develop ourselves spiritually while at the same time building community. It's all about showing up, being present, and activating your highest self. The co-creators at Full Circle challenge anyone interested in activating her or his highest potential to visit our space. Contribute your unique potential to the blend of forces occurring here. That is the whole description. (laughs) That definitely does give me huge Nexium vibes for Mm -hmm. sure. (laughs) Yeah. Sure does. It's like this (laughs) self-help, like, uh, achieve your highest potential kind of a deal. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I was like, the hell is going on? Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So Andrew Keegan has become the quote-unquote guru of the cult and often promotes activities like 
it's where it gets weird. Spooning, hand holding, meditation, crystals, and something that is called soul medicine. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It was not described anywhere. So I have it's no medicine idea for the soul, soul of is. course. <laughs> of course. Jeez. Now he has adamantly stated that he like this is not a guru zone. It's guru free. He's not a guru. They don't use that word. But everything points to that not being the case because I have read articles where he is literally called guru. <laughs> so the Rose Temple oh is God. an actual like old old church that was converted. And this place they called home is still there, but they're not there anymore. So it's a kind of a sordid tale. In 2015, the uh, circle was busted for illegal kombucha. Which is, like, which is like I didn't, I didn't know I mean, that there could be illegal kombucha I, I can't know. even like I read that and I started laughing in the middle of an office I was just like what didn't so, know that was actually a thing yes apparently when you make booch it needs to be under 5% uh, 0.5% alcohol or then it's considered liquor so okay. it was over 0.5% alcohol, which is really funny because when we, we used to work at a place together and mm-hmm. a year after you left, like there was a lot of people in the office drinking kombucha and they literally Gross, told us we okay. couldn't drink it anymore because there was alcohol in it. They said there is no kombucha a lot on, on, on premise. So of course I'm going to oh still God. drink my kombucha. Uh. I put it in a, I put it in a cup with a lid and I was like, you got to come over here and like test this. No, get out right. of here. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> So, so I illegally brought kombucha into work. Um, <laughs> You're such a rebel. Oh, my God. I know. Mad lad. Oh, God, can't help it. So in an article <laughs> from Vice, <laughs> an undercover agent from California's Department of Alcohol Beverage Control infiltrated the temple on Friday night, clearing away for a 9 p.m. incursion by five officers who confiscated two kegs of blueberry kombucha from a neighborhood kombucha brewery called Kombucha Dog. Oh my a God. member stated, it's a sacred tea to a lot of people who come into our temple. So to have a raid saying we can't do the sorts of practices that we do on a daily basis is rather disturbing. He added that event was the event that was happening where they had the kombucha was an event to benefit for Sea Shepherds of California and another charity that supports sustainable communities in Ghana. If you're familiar with Sea Shepherds, they're not exactly a kosher organization. I'm not. I don't know what that is. Um, They're one of the many organizations that goes out they did a stop the whaling campaign where they were like blasting ships and with water cannons and actually i think one of the because there's different parts of this organization i'm pretty sure one of them tried to blow up a ship <laughs> i'm pretty oh sure that God. was sea shepherds so yeah there's an awesome picture sea that i put in here of the uh people taking the two kegs of illegal kombucha Oh, is that what those? They almost look like, um, like a gas canister or they like do. a. They're CO2 that's what it kind of looks like. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the illegal booch being hauled away. Now, before the booch bust in 2011, Keegan had a run-in with the police on the exact same street, and it was kind of like this weird tussle. 
He claimed that during a charity event meant to raise money for multiple causes, he was quote unquote set up by the LAPD and had a very unfortunate situation in which he was taken downtown by 10 police officers for no good reason. Okay. Oh my God. Now Keegan was referring to an event in 2011 when he was caught on video screaming in fake pain as an officer cuffed him. And he was reportedly uncooperative after police asked him to turn down his music. And this was according to like TMZ who was on the scene. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. So he was having some event. They were playing music. They were out in the street. They got a noise complaint. The cops came. Something happened where he was screaming and he got arrested. (laughs) So around the same time this cult was getting started by Keegan, he had so many run-ins with the law on several occasions. That wasn't just one of them. He was also accused of abusing his girlfriend and slashing her tires and had an order of protection filed against him. So... There definitely seems to be this kind of two-faced thing going on with this guy where he's like, I'm all about positivity and bringing everybody together and cultural awareness and doing good for the universe. And then he is beating his girlfriend. Yeah. As is typical of your leaders of some of these organizations. Now, this cult definitely lures in a lot of young women. If you noticed while I was reading the description, it kept referencing women first or singling out women in the literature. It gave me very, very similar vibes to Nexium, And I kind of wanted to talk about it because after Nexium got like brought into the news, this place stopped existing. Really? So in in 2017, the cult closed its Rose Temple or uh, place because it said that tech giants were buying out land all over the area and rents started going up sky high. Now, they tried to sell these crystal bracelets as a fundraising event and had a one last night in the temple hurrah, which consisted of watching an Andrew Keegan film and having popcorn for a donation of $15 per person. Okay. Now, there was talk that the cult kept going and doing their Sunday morning program in various places, but as of now, their website is gone and there is little reference to it on social media. I'm almost certain that they ceased their public, like, you know, presence because of the Keith Ranieri Nexium thing, because it started happening at the exact same time as they started to slowly pull back and kind of like disappear their, their self. So, yeah. Um, There was an article recently that said that uh, Keegan was going to try and revive their Sunday service digitally. I haven't seen anything else, but it looks like they're trying to come back at it, which will be interesting because, again, we saw what happened with Nexium, and it's a very similar vibe. So That's definitely odd timing, I would say. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they were watching what was happening because you got to remember too when all of the information about nexium and keith ranieri and the branding and the abuse and all that fun stuff started coming Mm -hmm. out that was like right at the height of the me too movement they timed Mm -hmm. it so that it that that's really when investigators started looking into nexium as a dangerous organization so like i wouldn't be surprised if they saw what was happening and they were just like Mm -hmm. we might we might be next exactly Now, Vicky, um, did you ever watch the show My So-Called Life? No. 
Okay, so it was like so. it was like the peak of teen angst in the nineties. It had Claire Danes, who was the main character, took place in high school, and she was pining after Jared Leto's character, Jordan Catalano. Oh my god, I know where you're going with this already, and I'm so very excited. <laughs> it is like the most unbelievably 90s show that you could ever watch. You can't even handle it. Okay. And it was like, oh, Jared Leto is like the peak of awesomeness, okay? Yes. Now, I'm going to say something controversial. I don't yeah. like Jared Leto. <laughs> I don't like um, him as an actor. I don't like him as whatever he's pretending to be a musician for 30 Seconds to Mars or Mercury or whatever the fuck it's called. So... Um, <laughs> I like 30 Seconds to Mars. How dare you? <laughs> I don't give a shit. Uh, you step off on this one because I know mm-hmm. a lot of people who, especially when they were good back in the day, like 15 years ago. Uh-huh. I skipped the emo phase. <laughs> I like them. Yeah. No, I was full on in emo phase. Mm-hmm. So I was a fan of Jared Leto, but I recently heard about all of this stuff and was mm-hmm. like, did not know about it. Like Jared Leto was the type of, I was like, oh my God, he was so hot. Like he was like, oh my God, yeah. Stop. So <laughs> Maybe I do in the not 90s, think this anymore. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm talking like young emo Vicky who is listening to like Hawthorne Heights and oh my God. Take back Sunday and like oh yeah 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 oh no that that was that I went through that phase for sure so for sure I was I was punk rock in high school and, and yes my senior year is when emo started to like really take off and I remember yeah. somebody going well you like emo music I was like I'm sorry the fuck did you just say <laughs> You are turned off I shove this fucking boot up your ass. I don't listen to emo, you prick. It's punk rock. <laughs> I was definitely, I think, the right age to get really <laughs> attached to the emo scene and the and the yeah. scene stirs. Like, I just yeah. think that every they thought that everyone who wore black was into emo, and it's like, no, I wear black because it is like slimming, and everything comes in black. You can match everything to black, like. Fuck you. Yeah, but you did the thing is, is there's a big difference because you weren't just wearing black. You were wearing black with like spikes and shit kickers and like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So God my my uh <laughs> I had this shirt. So I used to get in trouble all the time in school for the things that I wore. And they weren't offensive. It was just like, oh, your fishnets are torn or you're wearing a skirt that yeah. might appear to be too short, but it's not. Yeah, so in protest yeah. because I'm crazy. I wore a shirt by the band. It's a punk band called Cheap Sex, mm-hmm. and the shirt says, "I'm a whore for cheap sex." <laughs> and so nice. I wore it to school, and I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> yep. And I was like, "You see, because it's not like showing off a part of my body. It was like a baggy T-shirt, and I had a, a sweater over top of it. I did not get in oh trouble for God. that." But I got in trouble because they thought my skirt was too short. And then I took a ruler and like measured it. And I was like, see yeah. that? It's regulation. Now, fuck off. I'm in public school. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, oh, the good old days. I digress. Um, <laughs> so as Vicky is probably fully aware, but maybe you're not, Jared Leto kind of has his own cult. And it's kind I... of like fire Festival. <laughs> 
It is. It's the weirdest thing. And I didn't even know this was a thing literally until like probably two months ago. Oh my gosh. I've been, I've been waiting to try to find a way to cover this because it's so fucking ridiculous. It is. So there's this thing called Mars Island and it's a private island, like off the coast of Croatia. (laughs) And it is where this kind of like 30 seconds to Mars from Mars around Mars (laughs) is happening is where they're having this big huge concert and everyone's hanging out having a good time it's like bonnaroo but for one band only yeah it's (laughs) weird it's strange so the official description of mars island is mars island is a three-night all-inclusive festival experience relax and restore with yoga amongst the trees take a dip in the pool catch a midnight screening or gaze at the stars and catch two intimate performances with 30 seconds to mars Mars Island is an experience like no other. Now, the pictures of this are very interesting, and I'm sure you've probably seen them. You've seen your little walking around the island looking like a dumpy Jesus ripoff, whilst hordes of women mostly follow him around, and they've been calling him guru and prophet. (laughs) Yeah, and he, I'm pretty sure, dresses in all white, right? He does. He literally wears a robe. Yeah. The first run of this festival was in 2019, which is where a lot of these photos come from. The starter package to attend was $995, which does not include air travel. And it goes up to $6,499, which is the highest tier. And the most expensive package includes a VIP all-exclusive experience with Jared Leto himself. Now, the second event was planned from August 21st to the 24th in 2020. Well, of course, pandemic. (laughs) They canceled at the last minute too. This is the funny part. They canceled it at the very last minute and moved it to this year because apparently Jared Leto was on a retreat and he had no contact to the outside world when the pandemic began. Uh... And there's this big, huge, stupid video of him going like, oh man, we had to like cancel Mars Island this year. I was out meditating at a retreat and I didn't even know a pandemic started. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to turn this off before I throw my fucking computer through a window. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. What? Now the 30 seconds from, Oh my gosh, it auto-corrected Mars to marshmallows. Anyway, (laughs) 30 seconds to marshmallows. 30 seconds Uh, to marshmallows. Call themselves the echelon. Vicky, was this a thing when you started listening to them or was it something that started later? Yeah, no. So they, um, they, part of the branding, I guess, if you want to say, mm-hmm. was this kind of mysterious artsy thing. So mm-hmm. when you would go to their website, it, they, they called their fans the echelon, basically. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of echelon branding on their websites, from what I remember. And yes. they had like, um, like how you can now with some bands where they have like um like I know like Dave Matthews for instance has the warehouse and you get like special access to tickets a little earlier mm-hmm. special access to like you know whatever that fans can buy into and I'm pretty sure they had one that was called the Echelon that was the similar thing mm-hmm. for 30 seconds to Mars. Yes. So I mean it sounds very menacing but the members of the Echelon yeah. Also, like, are they go on whatever social media site and they use the hashtag you wouldn't understand, <laughs> which was like Jared Little's motto that he started to use and would like 
say that at the end of videos or like, you know, while he's talking at a concert, like, oh, you wouldn't understand. So that became like the echelon hashtag. Okay. Now they even like they even sport these very interesting tattoos, which looks something like a pyramid with a bunch of squiggly lines. And it's like very highly appropriating other cultures. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, Vicky, did you ever want to get an echelon tattoo? (laughs) No, I was not that heavy into it. You were not that intense. I I feel like I remember a couple girls in high school who definitely would have gotten those. (laughs) Yeah, probably. I could see that. So according to Jared Leto in an interview, it started out as a joke in 2013 when he started to referring to his fans as his cult. But then it snowballed. And in 2015, they began having like regular, like these things called summer camp hangouts, which was like the impetus for making Mars Island. So, I mean, I'm going to pose this question to people like, is it an actual cult? Is there an actual cult? Is there some sort of like emo trend resurgence? And that's why it's like so popular because, you know, like 90s and early 2000s nostalgia is like hot right now. Um, I mean, is Jared Leto the next Jim Jones? Like, these are questions we need to answer. (laughs) Yeah, it's he. Here's the thing is I think there's definitely something to be said for artists like you see this a lot with um musical artists and actors like Mm -hmm. definitely i think i don't want to say go through a phase but some of them do tend to turn a little bit more like on the artistic side of things um Mm -hmm. you see that a lot right now the most relevant example i can think of is with the weekend where Mm -hmm. he has this kind of running narrative of things through his interviews and his music and music videos and his uh live shows and stuff like it's this narrative that kind of runs through everything right i think there's something to be said for that and there are some similarities between that type of artistic expression and this Mm -hmm. but i think what the difference is is he has a place where he's charging exorbitant amounts of money Mm mm-hmm for people to essentially come and spend time with him. Mm -hmm. And that is where it sort of, I think, crosses over for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of aspects of cults where they're asking you to like give up all of your money and everything that you possess to become part of this group. And that definitely has that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So the last culty thing that I wanted to talk about was the Organite Society. Now, a few years back when Kylie Jenner was dating Jaden Smith, there were tons of pictures of them circulating with these weird ass pyramids that they were holding in their hands. Do you remember any of those? Jaden Smith. I do not remember any of those, but Jaden Smith is definitely an interesting character in and of himself. (laughs) Yes. For sure. They posted pictures of them making some like whack ass pyramids in their backyard with some resin and some other organic shit that they put into it. And they created a secret group called a secret society of individuals who create and place Organite to balance Gaia's energies or the Organite Society. Okay. (laughs) If you're not familiar with the words that I just fucking spewed at you, let me break it down. So Gaia is a term used for Earth Mother. She is the mother nature. She is the energy of all living things and beauty. It's actually a Greek god and pagans still worship this deity today. Mm -hmm. Now, 
What the hell is Organite? Well, it is a long and strange story, starting with an Austrian doctor's sex box <laughs> that was captivated by Rajneesh Pranam and landed somewhere in Hollywood a la pocket pyramids. <laughs> um, okay. So... I don't know what a sex box is. So we're gonna... One. <laughs> Rajesh, uh-huh. Rajesh Purnam is not something I thought would be popping up here. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> Was not prepared for that. But I'm interested. You got me hooked. It's so, so fucking weird. So we're going we're gonna to start way back at the beginning with the little Austrian man named Wilhelm Reich. Reich was a student of Sigmund Freud and was a doctor of medicine specializing in psychoanalysis. In 1939, when Hitler annexed Austria, Reich fled to Norway and eventually made his way to the U.S. When he arrived, he claimed that he had discovered a biological cosmic energy. This would be an extension of some of Freud's theories about the libido and the potency of sexual energy. Now, Reich dubbed this as organ energy. So basically, he was talking about like this esoteric life force or the energy of all humankind. And it's all rooted in sexual energy. He stated that the absence of orgones was why many people suffered from ailments. Orgone is directly derived from the word orgasm. So you can see exactly where this is going. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. He started his research with looking at biology and evolution, which then led him to the discovery of bions. Bions are actually described as self-luminescent subcellular vessels that were observable in decaying material and presumably present universally. So all over the universe, inside the earth, outside. You're saying these words, but they don't go together. They don't. Nothing goes together. This is all (laughs) nonsense. Nonsense science. Um, So he began experimenting and even asked for the assistance of Albert fucking Einstein, okay? Which Einstein happily obliged, but then he realized that uh, Reich was a fucking crazy person, and he reneged and was like, uh, you figure this out on your own. Good decision, I think. So, yeah, he really wanted his theory to be legit and credited, so that's why he pulled in Albert Einstein. Now, to test his theory, he created something called the Orgone Accumulator, This essentially was a box that you would sit in that was composed of organic and inorganic materials. And the first box was made of plywood lined with rock, wool, and sheet iron. It had a chair inside and a small window. And the box had multiple layers of materials, which caused the orgone concentration inside the box to be three to five times stronger than in the air. The subject was expected to sit inside, usually nude, and soak it up. Now, Reich tested this on mice first and noticed that the mice that had cancer supposedly had a change in their tumors and the tumors started to shrink. So then he began to claim that this orgone box would cure cancer. This is all such bullshit. Now, this is a picture of the (laughs) orgone box. It's all garbage. And the doctor himself. He looks fucking Looney Tunes. Look at that hair. (laughs) I I love that hair. That's very like eraser head. It's very mad scientist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This box began to be co-opted by the hippie movement and was even making appearances in Jack Kerouac's On the Road. Okay. Uh, J.D. Salinger and William S. Burroughs were also major users of the Oregon Accumulator. And I would love to do a full-length episode on this guy and talk about all of the absolute cuckoo bananas things that he, quote-unquote, discovered. 
he had some really harebrained ideas and theories, and they are. This is just the tip of the iceberg of Doctor Reich and his fucking insanity. So I would love to cover him. <laughs> we should do an episode oh about cuckoo doctors. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. That'd be pretty fun. Yes. So now the Oregon Accumulator, I had mentioned, uh, mentioned uh, another cult that we've talked about, eventually made yes. its way to the leader, uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, a.k.a. the Osho, a.k.a. Wild Country Documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they constructed an egg-shaped Oregon Accumulator <sighs> that was used to concentrate orgasms. <laughs> okay. Yes, so this particular cult believed that sex and orgasms elevated yourself to the uttermost, like, highest plane. Uh, They eventually abandoned the egg accumulator and just stuck with, like, plain old-fashioned orgies instead. But this is a picture. (laughs) Don't fix what ain't broken, I guess. Yeah, this is a picture, and it is literally a fucking egg. It literally looks like a a Faberge egg on a holder. (laughs) It is nice. An egg with a door in it. Now, recently, this concept of orgone energy has made its comeback, along with the use of crystals. Celebrities now have been making their own orgone accumulator pyramids to soak in energy and to kind of, like, if you keep it close by, you can keep that energy close by. So they basically took the premise of what the orgone accumulators were constructed of and put them into these tiny little pocket pyramids so you could take it around with you. Okay. So these sure. little kind of twerpy Hollywood kids effectively created their own pyramid-worshipping crystal orgone cult. Recently, there hasn't been much reference to the pyramids themselves on Instagram pages of the above-mentioned celebrities, but it's possibly due to the documentary coming out on Netflix of Wild Wild Country. They didn't want to be associated yeah. with that. Yeah, I could see that. You know, and people don't want to be called out for using cult practices, so I won't be surprised if we can see a couple of these kids trying to co-opt <laughs> orgone boxes off of eBay and putting them in their basement. But that is uh, the orgone society. And again, I would love to go wow. back and really like yeah. understand what it's all about. But those are just some celebrity cults that I wanted to cover. Interesting. And I just want you to think about what a cult is and where does it start? Because those all sound like cults to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely love your take on the cult of celebrity. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and look at a good old fashioned regular old doomsday cult. Uh, love a good doomsday. <laughs> I think because recently I've been like the Heaven's Gate documentary just came out. Mm-hmm. One of the classic doomsday cults. And I recently picked up a suggestion for a book called When Prophecy Fails by Leon Festinger, who 
looks at this idea of what does a group do when a prophecy does not come true and specifically looks at the group, the Seekers, that were out of Chicago, which is a group that I had never heard of. So compounded by all of this, I was kind of like, let's find something, one, that I've never heard of, and that's a little like doomsday prophesizing kind of cult. Mm-hmm. Okay. So have you ever heard of WKFL Foundation of the World? I have not. Okay. This is going to be real fun then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have to start off by talking about a man named Francis Herman Penkovic, who was born in San Francisco in 1911 to Albert Penkovic, who was a Jewish immigrant from Romania, and Maud Bausenbach from Utah. Now, when he did graduate high school, he did, he did graduate high school, but he traveled the U.S. via the railways. So I kind of got this impression that he was bumming around, like just riding the rails as he would. <laughs> In the early 1900s, um, he did amass this list of petty crimes, including burglary, check fraud, and writing threatening letters to President Roosevelt. As you do. As one does. He got married to a woman in 1937 named Lucille, who had two sons. From there, he worked a couple of odd jobs, eventually ended up in jail for a period of time, along with a short stint in a mental institution. Lucille and Pankovic eventually got divorced, and Pankovic joined the army for a little, uh, a short period of time before getting remarried to a woman named Ruth in Salt Lake City in 1946, and the two of them had six children. So it was around this time, it was in a little bit earlier than um, his wedding in 1945, he sort of became interested in the Mormon religion and some aspects of it, looking specifically at their beliefs in the Malachizetic priesthood. Okay. <laughs> it's basically the like the priesthood of authority in the Mormon religion. Huh. So about this time, he decided to start his own religion. <laughs> now, according to LA Weekly, quote, be ready because I'm about to take you on a wild ride. Okay. Oh okay. Whew. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Quote, he came to believe his body had become host to Christ everlasting, whose soul had commandeered to earth from the planet Neophrates, where he was born 240,000 years before, on a convoy of rocket ships whose passengers included Adam and Eve. That all checks. That all checks. Okay. <laughs> he also claimed to have no visible navel. Wait, did you say navel like a belly button? Yes. Okay. <laughs> he was sure. close to Christ Everlasting. Christ I don't mean, have a belly I'm button, sure, right? Pretty sure he had a belly button. <laughs> nah. Nah. He was a virgin birth. That means no belly button, right? Isn't that how that works? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like some Kyle XY shit going on. So he changed his name to Krishna Venta altered his appearance to look more Christ-like and began sort of like touring the country, giving lectures, outlining his expanding, meandering theology. Krishnaventa, as he was being called now, 
began gaining a few followers when he showed up in Canoga Park in L.A., making all of these claims, adding that he believed the U.S. would fall into an absolutely catastrophic race war that would cause Armageddon. And anyone who wished to survive would need to live by his word and give up all of their earthly possessions. Sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) So I did want to provide you with the 11 tenants of the fountain. And these are kind of like their 10 commandments, right? Okay. Uh Tell me how you feel about these. So, okay. (laughs) Number one, to forget the world outside. I mean, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Okay. Number two, to become familiar with the inside workings of oneself. Okay. Number three, to become unified with one another spiritually, mentally, and physically. I don't know if I want to be unified with other people, but okay, I can see. (laughs) Number four, to forget self. Yeah, no, that's going to be a no. (laughs) (laughs) There's always like this point as you're going through these, as you're like, and okay, that's that's where it turns. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Number five, to create a desire within oneself toward higher spiritual equality. How much is regular equality first? (laughs) (laughs) Number six, to obtain wisdom. I mean, that's okay. (laughs) Number seven, to search for understanding in all things. Eh, Some things. (laughs) Number eight, to face problems without thought of escape. Sometimes that is the solution. (laughs) (laughs) Escaping? Yeah, I mean, if someone has a gun, I think escaping would be a great solution to that problem. (laughs) Yeah, that is one problem you could escape from. (laughs) Number nine, to become absorbed in love toward all things seen and unseen and so fulfill the laws of God. Mm. Number 10, (laughs) to let the spirit descend upon you. Oh, yeah. I don't like things descending upon me without consent. (laughs) (laughs) And the final tenet, number 11, to become a teacher, not in the world, but in the fountain, that all men who come out of the world shall find comfort in our midst. Wait. I'm a fountain teacher. <laughs> yes, you are a fountain what, teacher. What is the curriculum for fountain teaching? <laughs> First, you get in the fountain, uh-huh. and then so <laughs> WFKL, which stands for Wisdom, Knowledge, Faith, and Love. I pronounce it as Wolfluck. <laughs> Wolfkull. Wolfkull. Wolfluck. <laughs> So WFKL Fountain of the World was officially started in 1948. And in 1949, the group bought 20 acres of land in the Santa Susana Mountains on Box Canyon Road. There they built dorms for both men and women. Um, They had a main building with Uh like a kitchen and some common areas. They talked like about a hobby area. There was a church slash dining area and a few other buildings on the property. So they basically built this compound, essentially. Okay. The men and women who joined the fountain worked six days a week, living off of what they could grow on the land. Any children in the commune were communally raised, but they all went to local schools and everybody followed a vegetarian diet. I'm right with that. <laughs> in the meantime, Krishnaventa was traveling the world in an attempt to amass and attract new followers. Interestingly enough, I think... At the time, especially, so this is in the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. The hippie movement hadn't really started yet. No. 
I don't think people were looking at organizations like this in the same way as they would like 20 years later, right? Mm -hmm. So the community surrounding the fountain wasn't too concerned with the group because they weren't really making any trouble for anybody. Quite the opposite, in fact. The group was some of the first to spring into action at any sign of trouble. They oftentimes would help stranded motorists or assist the fire department, just like running out to help people. <laughs> they gained their their first bit of notoriety when on the morning of July 12th, 1949, Standard Airlines Flight 897R clipped the edge of a hill and went careening into the mountains at a speed of 140 miles per hour with 48 wow. passengers inside. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. When press and emergency services arrived, they found Krishna, along with many of his followers, in bare feet and robes, pulling survivors from the burning wreckage and, like, organizing the rescue effort. Okay. Fifteen total people survived, and members of the group went and visited them while they recovered in the hospital. But behind closed doors, however... Krishna continued to preach this idea of the oncoming end of the world prophecy, right? So uh -huh. they would go out and help the community, but then they came back and they were like, this is all going to go away. Like, this is all going to be for nothing. So again, from this LA Weekly article, quote, Using the Book of Revelations as a loose template, which that sentence in its own is like, oh, Lord. Venta preached that it was his duty to gather 144,000 men, women, and children before World, World War III, which would be fought between communist Russia and capitalistic America, engulfed the planet. He claimed that a race war between black and whites would ignite America in 1965. At this point, he and his followers would go to a secret location, perhaps in the desert, to wait out the war. The Russians would back Black Americans only to forsake them once they had taken over America and the rest of the world. With a godless Russia in charge of all, Venta and his followers would eventually spring into action. How, you may ask? By leaving their secret location armed with only God's word to spread the message of love and Venta. Ugh, everything about this is trying to gag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... This the stuff about Russia I'm actually not super surprised about because there is a lot of like I think focus on Russia back in the day. A lot more. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of focus on Russia, but like Russia American relations were not super great at this mm -hmm. point. But I there's something about cults predicting race wars that I'm like not super on board with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say. And it just all is very sketch. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say, let me let me ask you, Janelle. Okay. Of all of the cult leaders that you can think of, besides power, what mm -hmm. is like the one thing that they are all about? Besides power? Yes. I mean, does that power aside? Does that also control? <laughs> I would say control and power. Just control and fall under power. I feel like a lot of times they just want to control people, finances. You know, they just Bingo. want to have a sense of control. Mm -hmm. Money, finances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> as with mo most cult leaders, Venta had a real strong desire for money. Mm -hmm. 
And many of the trips abroad, he would take short breaks at the local casinos. So like part of giving up your earthly possessions included giving all of your money to the church so that Venta could mm-hmm. squander it away at the casinos, of course. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Even with all of the money being drained by gambling, Venta had child support to his first wife, Lucille, that he was supposed to be paying, which he wasn't. This eventually landed him in court for contempt, a charge that his followers protested. And it was shortly after this that Venta began planning to leave the area, attempting to set up a second commune near Homer, Alaska, thanks to their homesteader laws. At this point, he was now predicting that there would be violence that came to the members if they remained. Okay. Not all of these people were on board with their leader seemingly breaking all of the tenets he set forth for his followers, as eventually happens in a lot of these things. If you are a hypocrite and don't follow your own tenets, some of your members are going to start to sow some discord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just how it works. So two members, Peter Kamenoff, who was known by the group as Brother Elizba, and Ralph Muller, who was known as Brother Jeroem, had decided to visit investigator for the California District Attorney James H. Mulvey. When they found out, members of the fountain immediately began claiming both men were alcoholics, going so far as to claim Kamenoff was a wife beater. The men, however, claimed that Venta was an embezzler, a sexual predator, and was practicing illegal medicine. The investigator, Mulvey, said he wouldn't be able to bring any charges unless the men were able to get a confession. And following their meeting with the investigator, Muller went to an oil well supply company where he obtained materials he claimed were for blasting. Mm -hmm. I see this a lot in all of the cases we (laughs) cover. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They have to take, I think, sometimes because of the situation, like once you get to this far into this kind of situation sometimes it feels like the only action you can take is a drastic one Mm -hmm. so on the evening of december 9th 1958 moeller and kamenoff returned to the commune their truck now packed with 20 foot long sticks of dynamite that they would eventually strap to moeller's body At approximately 2 a.m., a recent convert overheard male voices shouting at each other. Again, according to the LA Weekly article, quote, Brother Martin saw Krishna Venta and his main aide, Cardinal Jean Shanafelt, arguing with a man he had never seen. The conversation stopped abruptly when I entered the door. I saw that I was intruding, excused myself, and decided to return to my quarters. I had gone about an eighth of a mile, I guess, and was on a small rise in the path. I turned, I have no idea why, and at that moment, my ears were shattered by a most terrible explosion. The roof of the monastery literally blew off the building. Rather, it seemed as if it was lifted off, then disintegrated. A tower of blue and white flame erupted into the sky. Next to the monastery building that had just exploded, there was a boys' dormitory (laughs) where the roof actually caved in on the young boys' sleeping next door all of them were able to escape but as they had sort of been taught through all of this help they returned to help others get out (laughs) so in total 10 people perished in the explosion including krishna venta cardinal jean muller and kamenoff a seven-year-old girl and an infant 
the fire managed to destroy almost 150 acres of land and smoke rose from the ashes for days following the explosion. There was some hope by remaining members that Krishnaventa would be resurrected. But after waiting for a time for that to happen with no results, the fountain finally buried Venta's remains. Venta's surviving wife, who had taken the name Sister Ruth, attempted to lead the fountain in rebuilding some of the buildings on the uh, grounds, but so many members had left following the attack that the fountain of the world was never really able to recover from it, and the group basically disbanded. Now, there were some members who went on to preach Krishnaventa's message, maybe in a different format or forum, including Dorothy Martin, who was known to the group as Sister Thedra. She actually went on to be a guru for another doomsday cult based out of Chicago called the Seekers that I mentioned earlier. Former members David and Gladys Smith and Irma Winfrey would eventually die along with 900 other people in Guyana in the Jonestown Massacre. All the interconnectedness. (laughs) I know. It's it's kind of wild because you got to think like, This was, I feel like there was in the 60s, really, Mm -hmm. like late 50s into the 60s, there's this explosion of cults. And part of that has Mm -hmm. to do with people searching for some sort of transcendental, like, you know, mind opening Mm -hmm. experience, right? Yeah. And some of them are just looking for uh religion to turn to you know there was like a Mm -hmm. huge boom in in religious organizations so it's weird to see something so early because you can only assume that some of this had an influence on things that came after Mm -hmm. there is also some thought speaking of that that krishna venta's teaching would lend some influence to a cult that would move in just down the road have you heard of the Spawn movie ranch. I sure have. There was a very famous cult that moved in there in the late 1960s. Can you guess what it was? There is? (laughs) There is. What was that all about? (laughs) So, the Spawn ranch, that it was literally down the street from where uh, the Fountains commune was. That's the eventual site of the Manson family and Charles mm-hmm. Manson in the 1960s, which as I was writing this, I ended up getting into a Manson rabbit hole on accident. <laughs> you were in a Manson hole. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I was looking at like aerial views of the property now because I was curious because there's nothing yeah. there anymore. But like you can still go no. to it because it's on protected land. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that is... WKFL Fountain of the World, which sounds like a radio station now that I've said it so it many really times. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> and Krishnaventa. I don't know. I just, I found that one really interesting because I had never yeah, heard of that. Yeah, really wild. Ever. Yeah. It's so interesting how a lot of these are interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of that people sort of like borrowing things from other areas like one of they actually talk i've heard talk of charles manson actually borrowing some tenants from scientology interesting and i think some of the ways that he's brainwashing mm-hmm. l ron hubbard speaking of scientology borrowed a lot from alistair crowley like oh yeah a whole lot 
you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stuff. So like, <laughs> mm, lots of sex stuff. Mm-hmm. There's even some like. Like, I see a lot of parallels between Nexium and Scientology in the way they use terminology mm-hmm. to sort of program people into oh, yeah. a way of thinking, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, there's patterns. We just yeah. got to recognize the patterns. <laughs> like, exactly. It's almost like uh, we should stop history repeating itself. <laughs> oh, my God. Who knew? I never would have thought that would be the solution to anything. Okay, well, before you decide to join a cult, first of all, don't. And second of all, (laughs) you should listen to this podcast first. (laughs) Welcome to the promo for the Marble Orchard Podcast, the weekly podcast that explores emergent mysteries of the American Southwest. Hosted by me, Prickly Pete, and my co-host, Faye Daniel. And we're not just another true crime podcast. We also discuss history, unexplained events, and local monsters. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast listening app. All right, Janelle, that has been our anniversary episode. I know. Four years on. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. And thank you for sticking with us for such a long period of time. Um, Right? Four more years. Four more years. (laughs) It's kind of weird to think about, but um, we do really appreciate everybody who listens to the show. Uh, We, we, would probably still do it even if nobody was listening because we have fun. That's really <laughs> what matters, I think. And that's kind of what I got. I don't know. Yeah. Do we have That was our motivational anything? speech. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. It's been an interesting, interesting ride. <laughs> Learned Oh my God. Something. <laughs> Mad skills. That never mm-hmm. seemed to come in handy because we always have tech problems. I mean, oh, well. you get asked a lot by other podcasters about how to do things, which I think is pretty hilarious. I'm like, I don't know. We just kind of were messing around, seeing what sticks. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we're like, we still don't actually know what we're doing. Sorry. We don't have a methodology. Um, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, if you liked this show, you can find more like this at badtastepodcast.com where we also have links to our donation page if you want to support the show um, and also to our merch store if you want to support some BTC merch. Uh, Do we have anything else? Nope. I think that's it. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, we will say happy anniversary to our sound editor, Tiff Fullman, and happy anniversary to the music man himself, the Enigma, Jason Sashevsky. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil in some form or another.